You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome in episode 51 of the Brilliant really Sports Podcast. My name is Dan Kurtz, and I'm joined by my co-host, the man, the myth, and always a legend, Aaron Riley. Aaron, uh, sheesh is, uh, is all I can say. Um, I've certainly been enjoying my victory week after my Jets took down the Titans 27-24 in overtime. Uh, Eagles obviously played the Chiefs, so that sucks to suck. Uh, I'm just kidding. If we played the Chiefs, we'd probably get 60-pieced, uh, so no hard feelings there. Um, unfortunately, the victory week ended last night with the Yankees taking an L to the Red Sox. But either way, we're going to focus on the Jets, some football, obviously sprinkling a little bit of baseball talk today. But Aaron, how are we feeling? Let's get a pulse check out of you. I'm, I'm still alive. I mean, I'm, I'm slowly dying, especially with the, the way my team's playing. But I'm still alive and I'm ready to talk, uh, obviously, everything sports today and, uh, and some baseball and, and obviously all the football that went on this weekend. That's what it's all about, folks. Aaron, obviously, dejected, um, riding high off of a week one victory. But, man, the kid's still humble. He still shows up every week on time. Faces the music every week after his Eagles. I mean, playing the Chiefs, obviously, is, is very tough. But uh, for myself, I, I think I, I'd be remiss if I wasn't going to enjoy this victory, this game. And we'll get into it off the hop. Obviously, we, would, we know we'd probably start with your uh, typical primetime games, your Monday night football, your Sunday night football, your – Marquee matchups of the week. I, I, Aaron, you can disagree with this. I don't think Jets and Titans were a marquee matchup by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination, um, but I think we're, we're going to get into it. Um, firstly, first off, Aaron uh, is wearing a hat with 700 pens, an Eagles hat with 700 pens, taking after his beloved coach, Nick Sirianni. Uh, if you haven't checked us out yet on Twitter, um, just type in Bruliana Sports. We posted a pretty funny photo, at least we believe we're funny. Of, of Nick Sirianni with photoshopped a million pens on his visor since it's absolutely absurd. We will attempt, if we can figure out how to do it, post a video of this on our Twitter account as well. But Aaron, uh, let's, get a, let's get a little rundown of, of the look right now. Uh, yeah, I just, I wanted to take after, you know, like, like Daniel alluded to, our, the Eagles coach having at least, like, at the very least, three highlighters on. Um, I'm going to say either when he's more like in his own head about the game or, or his game plan, he's going to add like four or five, six, he'll have, eventually he'll probably have like 10 highlighters on his, on his visor. When we go play like Tampa Bay, um, I just feel like he's going to be like, so his brain's going to be scrambled eggs that entire game. So 
Um, I don't know if he actually makes use of the highlighters. I, I said this to Daniel before that it just seems like they're they're there for decoration or or it's like he might, he wants to make himself look more intelligent than he actually is or, or knows what he's doing. But um, yeah, I mean, if you're if, if you're winning games, I'm sure everybody in, in Philadelphia will probably be rocking the highlighters on their on their head just because it's that crazy of a city. But um, yeah, when you're losing games, obviously you're gonna get uh, criticism. And and he's just a goofy guy. At the end of the day, I mean, he 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 rocks. Uh, now he he got uh, Brandon Graham's number, and uh, I forget there was another player that that's injured. I think it was someone on the offensive line. Uh, Brandon Brooks, it might have been. Uh, their numbers on his hat for the game. It's almost like, dude, these guys aren't <laughs> dead. Like you're, you're just still I, alive, I, right? Yeah. And then he showed, and I, I have no problem like supporting the other teams in the city that that's, I mean, if I was a coach, I'd probably do the same thing to a certain extent, but uh, when you're losing games and then you show up to a press conference in a flyer's hat, it's a little bit like, all right, man, you're, you're trying a little, you're, you're just ease off the gas a little bit in that aspect. Just take it easy. Focus on the, Whatever, maybe I'm being too critical. I, I do like the guy. I think a lot of people are giving him a, a bad shake already. I mean, it's such a brutal city, but the the whole highlighter thing is just obviously amusing, and it's just like it's out there. And and he's a younger guy, so I just think he does whatever he wants. And um, yeah, he's just he's Nick Sirianni, and and that's what you see is what you get. Yeah, I, I uh, and we'll get off this topic in a second. We just think it's hilarious that this guy wears. 17 pens on his visor and as Aaron said never seen one of them uncapped and actually utilized on, on the play sheet or anything like that um you made the joke about having 10 of them when they play the Bucks. that might be one pen for each play they run that game uh because the Bucks might might dominate them and I, the, the Bucks will dominate the Jets too this season I'm not obviously discounting that uh but yeah I think when you're winning games uh you can probably handle the gimmicks a little bit more than when you're losing games and obviously he's trying to like you know suck up to the fans for lack of a better term. And, and, you know, by wearing that flyers hat, by wearing Brandon Brooks's number on, on the visor, I think he's trying to get in good graces with the fan base, but uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe wait till uh, you don't get 40 piece by, by the chiefs. <laughs> but I digress. Uh, this is not about Nick Sirianni. This is about Zach Wilson. Uh, mm. I'm just kidding. Uh, Jets <laughs> Titans here. Jets win uh, kind of a snooze fest in the first half, but, Obviously, a thrilling game in, in probably the latter part of the first, uh, the second half. Obviously, in overtime was pretty exciting. My boy Fat Randy comes through for me in the end and, and blows a field goal, 49-yarder left for the Jets to secure a dub, 27-24. Um, we're going to get to Zach Wilson first and other things, news and notes. Obviously, the first half uh, was very pedestrian. 9-7 uh, uh, to was the score after the first half. I'll say that right off the bat. Um, the fucking Titans had like three field goals back to back to back to back. Zach Wilson threw a pick in the, in the first quarter because Corey Davis fell down on a route. Um, it was kind of a scenario, Aaron, in, in which I was like, oh, this is just going to be exactly like the Panthers, Patriots, and, and Broncos games. For me, uh, we probably started off relying on the run a little bit too much. We don't really have much of a run blocking offensive line. If you look at like the PFF grades, which I really don't like to take into account as much, but the offensive line grades out much better in the pass and the run. So I think LaFleur and that like Shanahan type offense, you probably want to at face value at its core, establish the run first and then set up play action, set up your longer plays, which the Jets eventually got to. They weren't scripted. I would say the longer plays at the end of the game, but they were probably due to more of like Zach Wilson throwing off platform, getting outside the pocket and, and, and doing those off 
scripted things. But in the first half, it, it seemed like he was trying to protect his rookie quarterback, establish the run. We were only really getting two to three yards out of it, not moving the ball as much, a couple of three and outs, which obviously as a play caller, you're probably not going to be able to get into a rhythm as much. And then, you know, the defense luckily was, was holding these guys to, you know, field goal after field goal after field goal, which was obviously great. If, if they turn, if the Titans turn those into, into touchdowns or turns one of them into a touchdown, you're obviously going to be down going into it. Um, but the tide definitely started to change in the third quarter. Um, they got that touchdown, like right at the end of the first half, Zach threw a couple of throws to Ty Johnson, hit Jamison Crowder for a couple of throws, hit Ryan Griffin, the tight end. He was mixing the ball around the floor, was getting hot with a couple of play calls. Um, they had Braxton Barrios come out on our reverse to get 10 yards. So I think as a whole, they started to feel some rhythm. Cut to the third quarter, start off the third quarter, first possession, again, trying to fucking establish the run. Doesn't work for the first couple of drives. And then Zach Wilson throws his laser to Corey Davis. He evades his corner, runs like 30 yards for, uh, for a gain. Um, the very next play, Zach Wilson takes a snap. Aaron, this is a phenomenal play. Takes a snap, fumbles the ball. Shit you not, fumbles the ball, picks it up. <laughs> Two seconds later, rifles it off his back foot to Jamison Crowder uh, for like a 29-yard gain to get, uh, you know, I think they were at like the five or six-yard line. Or, or something like that. Um, so it's like, for me, you probably feel this like a little bit with Hurts before we get to like the rest of the second half. It's like the the play calling is almost like suited to where they want to call the game versus how the team is set up. And we've seen that time and time again with like Adam Gase, with, you know, Sam Darnold's like first play callers. Um, even, even back to like the Sanchez days, they always just wanted to pound the rock, pound the rock and not actually call a game like similar to, you know, how, how their team is like set up. Yeah, no, I, I definitely understand that. Um, to a certain extent, it's important to obviously establish the run and things like that. The more you like break down the games, though, like the teams that are winning are, are usually, you know, it's a passing league, whether you like it or not, like basically nowadays, uh, you know, today's NFL. So <clears throat> um, you got to play to the strengths. I, I, I look at it like I, li I listen to Sirianni talk and, and he preaches on like you got to and, and he's better probably talking about it than executing it. But uh, it's like you got to put your playmakers in position to, to make big plays. And I mean, especially like if, if I'm the Jets, if I'm the Eagles, like if I'm struggling, like I'm going to be taking chances, like whether the fans like it or not. Like, yeah, I want to establish the run. Yeah, I don't want to go away from the run completely. But if I'm just like running the ball, running the ball with no success, no success, like different formations, different you know, running plays themselves and, and I'm not getting anything like I'm going to throw, I mean, Zach Wilson got a cannon. So it's like, I'm, I'm going to take my chances. You know, I'm going to try and put him in positions where even if he misses a guy, it's not going to get picked off, um, you know, and, and do as much as I can to set him up. But yeah, exactly what you said. I mean, like you, you can't just, all right. Like I think the Eagles defensive coordinator has that problem. Like he's running a zone, a yeah. zone, a zone, a zone, and it's getting torched and it's like, all right, well, he thinks, we need to just keep running the zone. Like, no, maybe you make an adjustment. You, you put your playmakers in a, in a position to, you know, come up with a sack, you know, run a blitz, you know, just, just mix things up. Like, especially if you're a team that's not four and O, like you got to mix things up to see what potentially you can build on. And I think the jets did that, especially in the second half. Um, I mean, Zach Wilson did his thing all, all second half long. Yeah, it's it's uh it's almost a situation where uh you know I almost look at like Lafleur's like the anti-gaze like that second quarter touchdown was their first touchdown they've ever scored in the first half this season, 
in four games, that's obviously not great. Um, the Jets had like a streak of like 10 games where they scored in the first quarter last year, and then they would disappear. This year, they're obviously playing like shit in the first half and coming back in the second half, and that's when like Zach Wilson gets let loose. Like it's almost like a let Russ cook situation where I'm like the, the running, the running backs are, you know, they're putting up like three yards of carry, like two yards of carry. They're not obviously getting decent chunk yards. And we'll get to Derek Henry in a second. who just like towards the defense. Like that is not the strength of your team. I think we have a decent receiver core, obviously led by Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, when he's healthy, like Jamison Crowder was his first game of the season, put up seven catches and a touchdown. Like let your playmakers get the ball in their hands. Let your playmakers make plays is, is like at its core and it's at its simplest form. Um, and I think once LaFour like realized that, like they went up, they got a, the play I just mentioned where he like picked up and, and picked up the fumble and threw the Jameson Crowder to get to like the five or six, they couldn't punch it in. So they get a field goal there. They take their first lead of the season, which is crazy. They were up 10, nine Titans then come back. Derek Kenny run, runs all over the defense. Um, they score a touchdown. They go up 16, 10, get a two point, I'm sorry, 15-10, get a two-point conversion. Um, then they're up 17-10. After that, you kind of saw the shift where they were calling, like, play-action play, calling, like, crossing routes, slants, whatever, to get the defense uh, – to get the receivers more open. Zach Wilson had a couple plays in this game, which were phenomenal. We get to the fourth quarter. Um, the game is 17-7. to uh, Zach Wilson's rolling out to the right. He's at, like, his own 40-yard line. There's a defender – Defensive lineman coming like in his face. He almost is, looks like Derek Jeter with his little crow hop throw to first base. Basically, he's running to his right. The sideline's kind of on his right, closest to his arm. He basically like leaps off one foot, fucking chucks it, throws it like as high as the fucking press box, comes down rainbow. Corey Davis catches it in the middle of like two defenders for a 51, 52 yard touchdown, maybe, but like air yards, it was like a 60 yard throw off his back foot. He legitimately falls to the sideline, Zach does, because that's like where his momentum was taking him. Um, it's almost like plays like that. Obviously, it's an exciting play at like face value, and you certainly can't rely on those plays to happen every game. It's probably going to happen like two or three times a season max um, because teams are eventually going to start to like keep him in the pocket. Um, but my point is like letting your, your offense basically play, letting your, you know, putting your confidence in your quarterback to make a play, like when the game is on the line, I think is probably one of the most important things as a coach you can do is instilling confidence in your team. I think they did that, but like, you look at a few plays before that, he's like, not Charlie check down, but he's like getting 12 yards on a pass, getting six yards on a pass, converting a third and four, you know, getting 15 yards on another pass, getting 30 yards on that pass, which ultimately sets up your, obviously the defense is probably, probably playing a little bit more in, they're probably closing off receivers playing on coverage a little bit more. Um, so that obviously opens up your defense a little bit to like uh, opens up the defense, I should say, to get, you know, receivers more open downfield and opens up a play like that. So that was encouraging to see, obviously the time, you know, it was, there was like eight minutes after in the fourth quarter, it was 17, 17 at that point. Um, they go up 24, 17. Um, obviously the defense does all they can. Zach Wilson obviously played very well in this game. I think this is his best performance for the season by far, but um, there were a couple of plays, like a couple of third and tens where he missed Corey Davis on where probably could have iced the game in, in regulation if they, if they had they converted one or two, maybe um, first downs, obviously let the Titans back into it. They go down, score a touchdown with, uh, with 16 seconds left in the fourth. Um, don't go for two, just go for one and send it to overtime, which made the longest game of my life even longer. Um, then the Jets come out, win the coin toss. Uh, Zach again made some phenomenal throws. He had like a 40-yard pass to Keelan Cole on the sideline. Um, Keelan toe taps it, catches it, puts him in field goal range. They drive all the way down to like the one yard line. Um, I think it was third and goal at the one and Zach, 
um, tried to run it in, but, but got tackled. They kick a field goal. Um, then Titans, I know this is a long-winded recap, but I just have to bask in all the glory here. Titans go down. Uh, it's, you know, they take like a legitimately eight-minute drive. Um, Tannehill is getting sacked, but, you know, Derrick Henry somehow runs for like 12 yards on like a fucking fourth and one. And, you know, it's basically <laughs> flip-flop in field position for like 10 minutes. Um, then eventually they get to a 44-yard field goal. Uh, they, for some reason, take a delay game. They didn't have any timeouts left. I don't know if they thought they did, but moves them back to a 49-yarder. Uh, your boy, Sam Ficken, played at Penn State, played for the Jets, a kicker, was hurt. Um, so they got fat Randy Bullock back there. Uh, he obviously misses wide left um, for what would have tied the game. And, and MetLife Stadium just goes absolutely berserk for the Jets to win 27-24. Uh, but yeah, what were your, uh, I'm going to stop talking and, and let you talk. Aaron. what were your, uh, what were your takeaways of, of this win? Yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely saw that, that pass you alluded to that Wilson made, uh, along that sideline, just an absolute bomb. Like he, he almost like wound up for that and then just let it fly. Like that was, uh, that was just a hell of a play. Like, that's just one of those plays you're like, damn, like, that's just, it's awesome. It, it, it gives your, uh, gets your juices pumping. I should say. And uh, yeah, it was, it, that game, uh, you know, I think a lot of people wrote off the Jets from the get go. Um, I thought the Jets might be able to stay in the game for sure with uh, with Titans not having the receivers. I thought, you know, the Titans don't have this, you know, quite the defense they had in, in the years past. But, um, you know, any win's a good win. And I don't think the Titans are a bad team by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think, you know, obviously, it, if I'm the Jets, like, I, I just think Zach Wilson, at least at like, you know, the appearance to the public is he's, he's confident no matter what, like he could go out there and throw four picks and he'll say, you know, we'll put that in the rear view and keep going. Like uh, that's what you want to see. And and I think I'd, I'd let him loose. And, you know, I, obviously I try to establish the run in the first half to a certain extent, but um, you know, if I can get my receivers open, like I'll let him sling the rock around, you know, for my team any day. Um, just cause I think he has the ability. He, the kid, like I see him out there on the field, it almost looks like he's like 16 playing high school football the way he plays, but he's just like, he's like another, to me, he's like a Johnny Manziel that probably cares about football, you know, a hundred times more than Johnny Manziel does. Like he's just, he's all over the place, but he can, he can like lead you to victory. And, and like, he's a guy that I would, I would say like the team could definitely rally around and, and like, he's just exciting. Like, I so, you know, great win for the, for the Jets. I think the, uh, the Titans, obviously, I, I don't know as far as like what they're going to do this season. They, they haven't started out obviously the, the best, but, um, they have the weapons they have, like they, they're a built team. So for them to lose, uh, in the way that they did, it was surprising to me, but, um, you know, any given week in the NFL, and that's why you play the game is, is you just don't know what's going to happen. And, and that's a, that's a game in which the, the jets can, uh, like build off of and, and at least, uh, you know, they learn, they learn how to win. They learn how to uh, put four quarters together. And, and, and I think Zach Wilson, it, I think the sky's the limit with the kid as long as he just, you know, makes good decisions. Really. That's all. I think that's really all it is. Yeah. And it's uh, it's like any given Sunday and I apologize. We'll move on in, in a second here, but like if I was talking to, to Aaron off air about this, if you really like think about this and I saw this a couple of times from the NFL pundits there in the, uh, in the media world, this is like, one of the only wins that like Jets fans can actually celebrate since like early 2019. Um, the two wins last year for them to go two and 14 against the Browns and Rams. I was rooting for them to get Trevor Lawrence. So I didn't want them to win those games anyway. Um, and then before that, I mean, that was a Sam Darnold, like mono year, the, the game against the Cowboys in, in 2019, when 
They were 0-4. He comes back and throws for like 300 yards, three touchdowns against uh, Dak Prescott, the Cowboys. Tony Romo, Jim Nance are calling that game. I can specifically remember him throwing a bomb to Robbie Anderson for for a touchdown. And then the season, something like the, the next game after that was the seeing ghost game against the Patriots on Monday Night Football. So after that game, the season like took a turn for the worse. But just to see your young quarterback, I think I definitely have shades of like of, of, of that game. And, and for him to get his first win for – Robert Sala to get his first win. It, I think going 0-4 into this into this game next week obviously is like a, a tougher pill to swallow. And I'm not saying that this team is perfect by any stretch of the imagination. The, the defense obviously played well. But, you know, they were gassed at the, end, at the end of the game and let up some easy yards. Obviously, the offense was pretty stagnant in the first half. But just to get like a win uh, just feels like good as a fan, as, as a player. I'm sure it feels amazing. I'm sure as a first-time head coach, it feels phenomenal. Um, but it's, it's for me, like, since I've been a Jets fan, it's always been about stacking wins and the NFL is about how you handle success and, and how you handle not having success. And a lot of the times, like, if you think back to like the Rex Ryan era, like they'd have like close, like pleasant surprise wins, and then you get absolutely trashed, destroyed the next game by like lesser, lesser opponents. Same thing happened with Todd Bowles, same thing happened with Adam Gase. Um, so if they go out and, and put up an absolute clunker against the Falcons next week, or, you know, if they go out and, and put forth a dominating effort or an impressive effort and take the win, it's going to say a lot about the character of this team, the chemistry this team has, the coaching staff, how much the players are buying in to what the coaching staff is telling them, what the message they're putting forth each week. Um, but it's just nice for them to get a win, get the monkey off the back, to say the least, um, at least this early on in the season. And um, a win on October 3rd is a lot better than a win on like December you know, 14th when you look at like first wins of the season. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's it for the jets. I apologize for, uh, taking up majority of the show with jets. Talk. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you slide. It's, it's a, it's a dub at the end of the day. And, and, you know, it's an important one at the next one. The Eagles, next one, the Eagles get, I promise we'll do a 15 minute breakdown of, uh, of a Jalen hurts. Uh, we might be story. It might be a couple months from now. So <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but from my victory week, unfortunately ended last night. Uh, the Yankees Red Sox AL wildcard game. We'll get to, to this quickly and then we'll jump back into football. Uh, I don't even know what the final score was. I turned the game off. I think it was like 6 2 or 7 7 2 or yeah. something like that. Uh, Stan, yeah, I think had a, had a late, what's that? So, yeah, 6 2. You got it. 6 yeah. 2. Somehow still got it. Um, Garrett Cole <laughs> gets chased in the, in the not even the third inning, gets chased in the second inning, um, gives up that home run to uh. Bogarts, I think he gave up another one to uh, Schwarber. Eovaldi, um, obviously pitched very well. Does give up a couple run, uh, give, gave up the run there, the home run to Rizzo, which just sneaks past the right field uh, foul pole there. Pesky pole, as the idiot fans from Boston call it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think this was a, a tale of, of pitching. Um, the Yankees a couple weeks ago obviously torched Eovaldi. Um, they they did pretty well in that. Boston series a couple of weeks ago in Fenway, um, the Stanton grant, I mean, Stanton had 10 RBIs in three games during that entire series. Um, so I think Yankees fans to a fault were pretty confident coming in. I don't know if that spilled over to like the players being confident as well. Um, but Garrett Cole, obviously not pitching well, hurts them. You know, Sevy has to come in. Chad Green has to come in. Loisig has to come in like a lot earlier than they were used to. Um, and then the, the bats just weren't there early on in the game. I think, uh, Aaron Boone was probably probably pressing a bit too much, but obviously bringing in Gary Sanchez a little too early, um, you know, taking out a guy like Higashioka. Um, 
taking out Cole probably a little earlier than I thought he should have. I thought Cole when he, you know, was just getting settled, but taking him out there, you know, at the end of the second inning obviously hurts your bullpen a lot. Um, so I think a lot of factors went into it. Like I said, I don't know if they were overconfident coming in. Um, it is a hostile environment in, in the playoffs, but you know, at the, at the end of the day, your ACE is getting paid $324 million over nine years to, to win a game like that. Um, and for him not even to make it to the third inning certainly is, is a very tough pill to swallow. And then not hitting Evaldi, I think, is, is obviously tough as well. He's obviously not their top guy. Um, I was expecting Sale, Sale to pitch this game like a few days ago when I was taking a look at when this wildcard game would happen. I think he pitched sun, uh, Saturday or Sunday, so he was um, unavailable. So I myself was certainly pumped to see him. Obviously, a former Yankee, I think the hitters know him well. Um, but, yeah, just couldn't really get into it. Um, Stanton in, in the green monster, not to steal all the points here, but the stupidest outfield wall in the history of, of sports, <laughs> um, should have three home runs, obviously it's two home runs and, and, uh, two singles. I think it was hurts. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it's, it's a one game playoff. So I don't know if you can, it's not like they got swept three games in a row. I don't know if you can put too much stock into one game. It's just obviously a tough performance to swallow. And a lot of overreactions are going to come out of a one game playoff format like that. Yeah, I thought, um, obviously, first inning, uh, you know, Bogarts hits that bomb to center. Yep. And I think that, I mean, obviously, any it, baseball is so back and forth, especially in the playoffs. But I think for them to get to Cole that, that early was obviously extremely important. I think for Evaldi, that, that was kind of – that lifted a little bit of pressure off of him to just go out there and pitch. Um, yeah, I think – one of the takes that, that we got into uh, off air was I think the Yankees were, were far too like aggressive at the plate, which at times is not a problem. Like if, if, if you're Aaron judge, if you're Stanton, um, I would even say Gary Sanchez has that pop from time to time that if they see a ball that they think they can take yard, like obviously you want to let them swing. But uh, at the same time, I mean, you have, you have guys like Urshela up there just swing, like swinging at everything missing. Yep. Um, just whiffing, um, you know, Torres didn't really do it much of anything in that game. Um, I, I just thought when they, when they pulled Cole, I, I, it was almost, it was almost like he, his body language, like, was like, I don't have it tonight. Like he just, he kind of looked like defeated. Um, I know his last like five or six starts, his ERAs like crept up there, like in the high fours or, or low fives. I know he's been yeah. struggling to a certain extent. So um, yeah, I, I just thought the, the Red Sox kind of like jumped on them early. They didn't really look back. It, it's Boston's one of those, like the more I, uh, you know, I've watched baseball probably longer than football. Even it's like, if you get down to the Red Sox in their own building, it's just so difficult because it just seems like they could throw a kid up from double a and he'll somehow come up with a, a clutch hit or like a rope one down the line. Like, like last night, even before the game and, and I just, I just had a feeling I was like, watch Kyle Schorber do something tonight because he's like that odd guy. Like he's the, they acquired him. He, uh, yeah, he, they acquired him like, you know, mid season. He's kind of like, nobody talks about him, but you know, he goes, and then he goes yard on that high pitch. It's like, you could, I just feel like there's something in the water up there. It's like, you can throw anybody on the Red Sox. They could be having the worst career on a, on another team. And like, you could probably put McCutcheon on the Red Sox after the shitty year he had on the Phillies. And, somehow he would have hit a home run last night or, or made a difference in the game. It's just, they always find a way to, to come up with these guys to, that they come up clutch in, in the playoffs. If they get to the playoffs, they're just, they're so hard to put away. 
I thought, um, you know, other besides Stan and Judge, I and I mean, if Rizzo hit that one down the line, obviously to to give to put him on the board. But um, other than that, I mean, you had Torres going over for Brett Gardner. I think Brett Gardner might that might have been his last game, uh, from what I hear. He went over three. Like, I honestly, I think, uh, and I'll probably get his name wrong. Gas. Gashioka. Yeah, I cannot say that, but uh, that kid is so good behind the pl- or that guy is so good behind the plate. It's not even funny. Like, yeah. he he's like one of the best defensive catchers I've ever seen, probably, and no one really talks about him. I mean, he, his his stats at the plate aren't aren't obviously the best, but he's got some power too. It's just, I thought once the Yankees got the bullpen in, um, you know, things kind of settled down. I thought like they got the game under control. Really, it was a a three to one game or a three nothing game for, you know, most of the game there. And then the Yankees get one back, make it three to one. Um, I thought at that point, like Stan hits that one to the wall. If if they don't send judge there, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, somebody would have drove him in because the rest of the lineup struggled. But if you had Stan at second judge on, uh, third with I think that would have only been one out at that time like we yeah. might be talking about uh, a different ball game um, but obviously they send judge Bogarts guns him down at home and, and it was definitely dramatic but I, I kind of hope to see a more close game I, I thought once you got to like the seventh eighth inning it felt like there was no way the Red Sox were gonna let we're gonna let this one slip and and obviously they didn't so um, now they go and play the Rays which will be uh, obviously more AL East uh, action but That'll be interesting, without a doubt. Yeah, they'll get smoked by the Rays, no doubt. <laughs> uh, I mean, we would have gotten smoked by the Rays, too. I'm not here to say we wouldn't have. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the judge play, you mentioned him getting thrown out at home, obviously, was a key turning point. I, I think to that point, uh, Stan and Judge were the only two that were really doing anything. The the home run from Rizzo, obviously, was there. But, you know, I, if they had more confidence, and I think Gallo was coming up after uh, – Stan, if, if they had more confidence in, in him to, you know, drive in a couple of runs, let's say it's third and second or it's, you know, first and third with one out, um, then maybe, uh, you know, obviously the, the couple of relay throws, you're, you're throwing a ball um, from just beyond second base to home. Um, it's probably going to be accurate nine times out of 10. It obviously was last time he gets thrown out by a couple, couple steps, couple seconds, Judge does. Um, and then, yeah, it's only, it's, it's one man on first with, with two outs. Um, so that, Certainly hurts. I think, um, you know, as soon as it hits the wall, I'm like, oh, Judge is scoring for sure. I just didn't really get to see, you know, him him off first base and didn't really get to see, like, the jump he got. Obviously not a great one, but um, the ball does obviously bounce off pretty quickly off off that monster. And, you know, nobody knows that better than the Yankees. I think they were just obviously pressing for a couple of runs and um, made the decision for for Judge to go, and that was, that was it. it. It just it is what it is, and – Maybe in a in a maybe not a playoff game or not a you know do or die situation. He probably holds Judge, but you know you're you're hoping the ball squeaks out. You're hoping he can he can beat the tag since he is a tall guy. Um, but yeah, the Yankees from here obviously a lot of decisions to make there in this offseason. Um, Got to figure out what you're doing with Torres at, at short or second base wherever he's playing. Got to figure out what you're doing at catcher. Do you keep a guy? I mean, I think they're going to keep a guy choking no matter what. But do you play him more and sacrifice the at bats? Do you sign somebody who's going to give you better, you know, plate appearances, but maybe suffer a little bit on the, on the defensive end. I think they have the rid of Gary Sanchez. I think the past couple of years have, have shown that. I think he was a little bit better this year than last year at the plate and defensively, but there are times where he just checks out mentally, especially <laughs> on the, on the defensive side and just makes the absolute, but most boneheaded plays I've ever seen a catcher make in my life. And uh, I, I can't stand him being on my team. 
uh, essentially is, is what I'm getting at. But yeah, I mean, the Torres thing lingers Gallo hitting 199, leading the league in strikeouts can't happen again. Um, I know they have him on the cheap for next year, but um, yeah. And, and then you got to pay judge. So um, have some important pieces already locked up obviously, but you got to lock up judge. I think he showed he was the, the team MVP for sure this season. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not a rebuilding situation by any stretch of the imagination. They'll be right back in the thick of um, the AL East race. I just getting to the Boone situation, his contract ended um, after the season, after that game last night. So there's the, the, the chatter of what's going to happen with him. I wouldn't mind if he's gone, to be honest with you. I don't really, I can't tell you I follow baseball closely enough to, to figure out who the manager, you know, options are out there. I know there are a couple of teams like the Mets that, obviously need managers as well. I'd have to think the Yankees is a rather attractive spot with not only being in New York, but also with the roster, the quality of the roster that they have currently. I just think Boone uh, hasn't quite clicked from the start. They've had good seasons under him, obviously, but I think the expectation in New York with that team, with that payroll um, is to get beyond a wildcard game. Um, And obviously not doing that um, is going to probably, you know, cost you your job, but, it is what it is. I'm interested to see what happens this offseason. Obviously, we have some time. We have football. We have hockey. We have basketball to kind of cover up um, some of this stuff for the next few months. But um, baseball will obviously come quick. It's always back. Pitchers and catchers, I think, report every February. So we'll get some offseason news and some signings, you know, sprinkled in throughout the rest of our fall sports coverage for sure. Yeah. No, I think I think you, you wrapped that up pretty well. I think um, I would not be surprised if, if Boone gets the boot after this season. I mean, I – I just felt like they were so up and down this season. Like you saw the Yankees. I think they won at least 10 straight. They were like on fire at one point. I was like, I was like, watch out for them. Like I, uh, I have multiple friends that are Yankees fans. So it's like, you know, when they're, when they're hot, everybody's talking about them. And, and I was like, you know, this, this team's when they're clicking, it's their lineup is absolutely insane. But when they're not like last night, you kind of see the deficiencies, like, you see, you know, a guy like Gallo either striking out or popping out, not really making much of a difference. Like he doesn't make loud outs. Um, you know, Rizzo is one of those guys. I think, you know, I, I don't know his contract situation, obviously coming over from the, from the Cubbies, like, but uh, you know, that I even, I even, I forgot about him. Yeah. They, I would love for them to sign him. Um, I think they're probably gonna let Luke Voigt walk. He's been hurt. He obviously didn't play last night, but if they could sign Rizzo, I think just not even from – he's a gold glove, platinum glove, gold glover in the past, not even from a defensive side. He obviously comes up in the big moments. Um, he's always a guy that, like, lifts the team when they're down, um, whether it be at the plate with his play or it be, like, in the locker room. He's obviously a great leader. Um, but, yeah, I would love for them to re-sign him. It would be interesting to see what kind of deal he gets. Obviously, he's not young anymore. I wouldn't say he's old by any stretch of the imagination. Um just a phenomenal defensive first baseman and can rake. Um, and those guys don't grow on trees. The first baseman spot ever since Teixeira, you know, got shitty, has been a revolving door for the Yankees. We had Greg Bird there for a minute. DJ's been playing some first base. Obviously, had Luke Voigt from the Cardinals a couple of years ago. He's been in and out of the hospital, it seems like, every goddamn week. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice if we could get some s- stability over there, not just for the, the, the order, but – um, and he's also a left-handed bat. You know, he counteracts Judge and Stanton pretty nicely as well. They do the lefty-righty matchups, um, or at least try to, like every other team does now. So it'd be nice. It'd be. I don't know if it's going to happen, but it'd be nice. Right. No, I, I think I think you summarized that. I mean, 
the thing I just feel like the Yankees are in a position now like they're you could see a uh, not a totally different team next year but I think there's a lot of pieces that are on the either the edge of, of coming back or on the edge of walking out or like going somewhere else like I think um, you know Gallo like you had mentioned Brett Gardner is a question mark Gary Sanchez is a question mark um, I don't know like the contracts of Glaber or Rochelle I'm not by any means a Yanks fan but I know they uh, you know I, I just feel like this team is, is like their bullpen solid, probably one of the best in baseball, if not the best. Um, other than that, it, it's like th their lineup is, is kind of just like it can be extremely hot or extremely cold. So um, it's one of those things where, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see where they go, you know, come next season and, and going forward with their manager and their and their roster there. Yeah, it'll be, I mean, obviously I'm, we're, you know, we're going to tune into, you know, some of the wild card stuff um, or, you know, obviously NL wild card game tonight, which we'll get to uh, in a second or in a little bit after some more football chatter. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm going to certainly tune into the rest of the AL playoffs. I think uh, they'll be good. They'll be entertaining, obviously open for the Red Sox to get bombarded by the Rays, um, but that wouldn't change. I mean, even if they didn't play the Yankees last night, you know, if they played the Blue Jays and beat them, I'd still, obviously anti-Red Sox, but yeah, the Rays are insane and, and we'll get to some other matchups a little bit later, but um, yeah, let's get back to some football, Aaron. Talk some football again. Um, give me a game that we can definitely get to the Eagles. We can get to some other games, but you know, where do we want to take this, uh, take our back to Sunday first? Where do you want to go? Yeah, I, I respectfully uh, didn't, didn't shit on the Yankees. Not that I have a reason to, cause my, my team is terrible anyway. Yeah, you so you could have, I, I, uh, but a guy that I, I unfortunately have to shit on and, and I don't really want to, I think is uh is Ben Roethlisberger this week. I mean, he, <laughs> he it's just you might as well cart someone out, out there like in a wheelchair and try and see if he can make a throw or stay stay in the pocket better than Big Ben. I mean, guy is struggling to say the least. Uh I think he's he's on the back nine, if not on the the 18th hole, putting on the green at this point in his career. Um, they drop another one. They go to one and three. I mean, I've seen the Steelers get off to slow starts. I'm not saying that he's like that they're done for the season. I think that's that might be a little bit uh, premature, but uh, they can't really seem to run the ball. Great. Um, Big Ben's not doing nearly enough, obviously. And and the Packers cruise to victory. So, I mean, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about like if you think Big Ben will get on track this season at all or if the Steelers will or even compete for that division at this point. Great topic of conversation. No, they will not compete for the division this year. Um, will they even finish better than the Bengals? No, they will not. Uh, no, I mean, that's probably a bit facetious. But I, if, if I told you, you know, last year this time that, you know, oh, in, in 2021, the, the Bengals are probably going to have a better starter, better finish to the season than, than, than the Steelers do, I, you, I probably would have slapped myself in the face. They're like, no, what are you smoking? Um <laughs> <laughs> Juju Smith-Schuster, arguably the worst free agency decision of all time to mm. take less money to stay in Pittsburgh than to go to the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, could you imagine Juju on the Chiefs oh. right now? Uh, on top of Tyreek, on top of Hardman, on top of Kelsey, on top of Edwards Hilaire. Uh, and they just got Josh Gordon, who I think is going to play this upcoming Sunday. Um, it's not 2014 anymore, but I think Josh Gordon might be able to make some plays depending on what kind of shape he's in. Um, For sure. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if it's, they always have a new offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, um, been around the league, been around the college ranks for a long time now. 
um, had a couple of stops in LSU, Maryland, places like that. Um, so I think he's one of the new age guys. He's, I don't think he's like all that young, but he's also not old at the same time. Um, one of the new age guys who, who is more of like the creativity, pre-snap motion, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I don't know if Big Ben and like his style was really vibing that well. I mean, I don't know if, if Big Ben's style would vibe well with any play caller at this stage in the game of his career. Uh, we, we talked about it last week. We talked about it the week before. It's like two-step drop. Ben like chucks it. It's, it's incomplete or it's a lame duck or he's like somehow flailing to the ground. Um, you mentioned the, the running game. Uh, I mean, last year, I, I, I would argue they were better under with James Conner. Um, letting him go obviously didn't have a great end of the season, but I think it has more to do with the Steelers and, and than it does with him. Um, obviously, the Cardinals are are doing pretty well. I wouldn't say he's a feature back down there. They have Edmonds, who's doing phenomenally, has over 100 yards last last game against the Rams. We'll get to in a little bit, but uh, they're not doing really much of anything. Their leading receiver, Deontay Johnson, nine catches for 92 yards and a touchdown, had that 45-yard bomb to go up 7 nothing. I think they make plays like that. You're like, okay, that's shown some promise. But, again, getting back to the point I made about Zach Wilson earlier, those long, explosive plays aren't going to be there every single game. Um, against the Packers, who don't have a who don't have a great defense by any stretch of the imagination, that's not going to be there. Um, against other teams like that, it's not going to be there against the Ravens. It's not going to be there against the Browns, who have much better defenses. Um, so it's either like a long toss, a long bomb that Big Ben somehow fits in there, or it's like screen plays to Najee, or it's like you know three to four yard chunk plays like Juju on a slant or coming you know down the line of scrimmage. Um, there's that one play. It was a, a funny picture on Twitter that I saw. That I think it was fourth down late in the game um he runs a slant or like an in route like three or four yards has to get like six i think he gets hit by two defenders immediately tries to stretch the ball out to the first down marker and it's probably a good like three to four yards short it was just a sad <laughs> sad state of affairs um for juju but yeah i mean the, the defense that you know tj watt coming off an injury um, I think they they are better than that people give them credit for, but you know the 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 Steelers putting up 17 points against the Packers in today's NFL is just not going to cut it by any stretch of the imagination. As far as the uh, the Steelers go, this might be uh, the be the actual beginning to the end of of Big Ben. I think they didn't as a franchise. I think we touched on this a million times. Like I don't think they prepared for this nearly well enough. Um, I don't think James Winston's going to do you much of anything um, unless he vastly improves uh, or Mason Rudolph has kind of showed you what probably he is. So uh, Wayne Haskins or James Winston, one of the two. What's that? Do what? I think you said James Winston, but it's okay. He'll probably uh, be Dwayne Has- Yeah. Dwayne Haskins. Yeah. Uh, same, same basically player, but uh, <laughs> no, I think James Winston is obviously better even, but um, yeah, it, it's, I don't know. This is probably the first time in my entire life that I've looked at the Steelers. Like what, like what is going on with that organization? Like which, what direction are they going? I mean, they might pull something out of the hat. You never know. Like they might, I wouldn't even rule them out to get like Deshaun, Deshaun Watson or something like that. I, um, I just feel like they, they can't fall off for too long. Like they just don't do that. Um, and historically they've, they haven't done that. So maybe they, they suffer for, you know, a few years after big Ben hangs it up but then they figure it out or maybe they go in a different direction as soon as he hangs it up and, and, they, and it works out for him. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's sad to see big Ben's career, like kind of go down the tube like this. It reminds me of Eli Manning a lot. Um, probably not even as bad as, as Eli Manning. That, that was just like 
what are you like? That's just horrible. But it might be up. It might be up there, dude. I'm not gonna. It's getting there. It's definitely. It's it's headed that. It's trending that direction. So, um, not sure where they're. Uh, I might have the research department let me know with, you know, where, here we go with the the schedule. I mean, they go play, or or, or Denver comes to town this week. Loss. Um, so yeah, unless, I mean, unless Drew Lock plays, then that's a win. I think you know if, if Drew Lock's in there, you you got to win that game. Then they play Seattle both home games, but, um, there's no, there's no for sure win with, with the way they're playing. And, and it really surprises me. I mean, I know Nigel Harris is a rookie, but he's just not doing much of anything, but that that offensive line is is definitely not what it used to be either. So. Yeah, no, he, he needs to settle in. Um, the jets have a, have a running back, Michael Carter, who has slowly taken over like the starting role. And even he's not like doing phenomenally by any stretch of the imagination, Javante Williams is another running back. He, he plays for the Broncos. He's he's probably performing the best out of out of any of the rookie running backs. I, I wouldn't say he's also blowing us out of the water. Also, I think it's it's more like the rookie quarterbacks. I kind of put him in line with them. They need a couple of weeks to really adjust to the speed of the NFL. They need a couple of weeks to adjust to NFL defenders and defenses and how they're game planning to stop them. Um, for Najee, I think it's more of a case of – Defenses don't really have to try as hard to stop Big Ben as they used to, and I think they're probably putting more towards a game plan to, to game plan against Najee Harris. Um, so, you know, if you're not focusing on Big Ben and you're focusing on Najee, obviously as a rookie, you know, starting off in the NFL, it's going to be tougher to accumulate yards and, and get chunk plays and, and whatnot, especially if, if someone's outwardly game playing for you and loading up the box when they know Big Ben can't, you know, throw bombs. At, I mean, you can throw, throw it far, but it's – you know, the offense is stagnant. So it's, it's, it's going to continue to be that way unless they can figure out a way to, you know, A, unlock Najee or, or figure out how to, you know, make Big Ben Charlie check down and take a page out of Tom Brady and Mac Jones' playbook. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, if anybody's Charlie check down, it's, it's Big Ben has turned into that in the last couple of seasons. I, I don't know who looked worse this, this, year, uh, this year. This week is uh, Big Ben or, or maybe Urban Meyer. It's, it's kind of debatable. It's, it's different avenues, but. Yeah, Bo- Bozo of the week, I think, has got to go to Urban Meyer. Um, <laughs> I, know, I know we talked about the Jaguars and Bengals in that Thursday night game on, on Friday show, but allegedly, you know, this game was was played in, in Cincinnati, Ohio, where Urban Meyer has, has a residence in the state of Ohio from his several years as a, as a head coach of Ohio State, the Ohio State University. Um, allegedly, I think this is confirmed now, he uh, did not travel back to Jacksonville with his team Stayed in Ohio, obviously went out and about on the town Saturday night. Um, and then a bunch of videos blew up social media of him uh, dancing or I guess someone dancing on him at, at a bar, which is ironic since the bar uh, has a picture. It has like an Urban Meyer like mural on the top of the ceiling that has a picture <laughs> of him and his wife inside the bar. So he had to have like seen that as he was getting danced upon by a, by a younger allegedly younger looking female. I don't know. Allegedly it's a video. I wasn't there. Um, but yeah, I think uh, just to, just to, to be serious for a sec, like his apology coming out and saying it was inexcusable. He was just like looking down the entire time. Couldn't look the media in the face, bopping his feet, <laughs> moving around. Obviously just the last thing he wanted to do was apologize. He probably, you know, didn't think he did anything wrong, um, but it just comes off the heels of, bonehead decision after bonehead decision, obviously hiring the strength and conditioning coach from Iowa who turned out to, 
you know, obviously has some crazy allegations against him, um, you know, signing your best boy and, and Tim Tebow and cutting him and taking a roster spot away, cutting him like a couple weeks later, a couple months later makes no sense. Um, not flying back with your team after your, your an 0 and 4 start makes zero sense to me. Um, and then apparently he didn't even apologize to his team until like this morning, which we're recording, uh, you know, Tuesday didn't, you know, didn't apologize until Tuesday morning, which is, which is crazy. Um, so I, you know, this, this has the, the makings of a, a one and done, um, kind of NFL experience for every Meyer. I, you know, obviously Nick Saban lasted a little bit longer, but has the shades of, of being a Nick Saban. Um, but yeah, Bozo of the week for sure. goes to, uh, Urban Meyer. When I, whenever I see somebody that uh, first they ripped, uh, like he allegedly bought a, a residence in State College, Pennsylvania. Then yep. then he said, uh, you know, he's extremely interested in coaching Penn State, which I was all for just because he, he is a winner at the college level. I'll give him that. And then like two, three weeks later, he goes, visits, uh, visits Ohio State uh, and, and then basically just leaves Penn state in the dust ever since then I've, I've rooted against him in every former fashion, wherever he goes, I root against the guy. Uh, so when I see him absolutely fall on his face, I love to see it. Um, you know, I, I think like he's one of those people where I, I just feel like he thinks he's untouchable, Like he just comes off that way. Like he, he'd be the, the guy at the gym that you'd, you'd like, you're, you're working out or whatever. He's like, is that your last, last set? And you're like, yeah, I'll be off in a minute. And he'd probably be like, all right, well, let's hurry up or something like to that effect. Like he, he just seems like he's a prick to me. Uh, you so know, maybe I'm just Aaron at the gym folks. If you're wondering. Yeah. I, well, I, I basically just, I take the spot of, of wherever somebody is anyway. I just, I just go in there and just, I take alpha, over the bench. Aaron, Aaron Riley and Herbert Meyer, alpha males. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't even want to be mentioned in the same sentence as that guy, but uh, uh, no, it's just, it's insane. Like the video, obviously girl looks about to be college age. Uh, Urban Meyer, I looked it up yesterday. Uh, he's 57 years old, so just that alone is is pretty uh, pretty out there, like pretty pretty bold to be doing that. And then not only that, like Daniel mentioned, they're they're 0 and 4. He didn't come back with the team. Like he just kind of is doing. He's like, I'm gonna do me. I'm gonna do what I want. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't really care about my rookie quarterback, my my 0 and 4 football team, like us trying to get on the the right page, especially after we we were up 14, nothing in a game that we probably should have won. Like he just, when, when he said like, it's almost like playing Alabama every week. I just feel like that, that kind of like stays in my head where he's, he's almost like, this is too much for me. Like I'm, I'm a bit off too much that I can't swallow. And the, and the, the NFL is a different beast. Like he could, I'm sure at Ohio state, um, I'm sure at Florida, he had control of literally just about everything as far as like recruiting uh, coaching, obviously, just every he oversaw everything. I think the NFL is a different beast. Um, you know, if I was a coach, I'd probably I'd probably want to stay in college, honestly, just because it's like the NFL. It, it it's like you either put up or shut up, and and you have so much responsibility. I feel like, and it's you're getting paid. Like obviously, the college guys are getting paid, and, and now the players are getting paid as well. But it just I think it's the, the pressure at the highest level, and. And especially to take over a team that, that didn't really do much of anything. Obviously, they were the worst team in football last season. It, it's I think it's just adding to the pressure, and I just think it's too much for him. And and he probably thought, you know, I, hey, I'm I'm Ohio State royalty, uh, so I'm going to go out and 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 have fun, and 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 I'm royalty in in the whole state basically of Ohio, and and nobody's going to you know blast me, and and 
obviously that backfires. I don't know, like, obviously I, I don't know Urban Meyer at all. So, you know, maybe him and his wife have a divorce. I, maybe she stays together. I mean, he is uh, obviously a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. So it's a little easier to make mistakes, I guess. But uh, at the end of the day, like, you know, it's not a good look for him. It, he's made a lot of questionable decisions, but this has got to be uh, the top of the list for him. Yeah, I, I, I feel bad for Trevor Lawrence and, and just a lot of the younger – I mean, I guess all the players on, on this team, you are you truly are, especially as a rookie, no matter what position you play, a product of your environment, product of the system you, you play in. Um, and obviously, an 0-4 team, the last thing they want is, is distractions surrounding the team. Um, there are reports coming out from guys like Michael Lombardi, Mike Silver, a lot of guys who have connections around the NFL um, that, that players and coaches internally are fed up with him as, as a coach, as, as just a leader of an organization, as a leader of men. Um, they're kind of at their, their wits end with him. Um, so, you know, four games into the season, not even a quarter way through, or I guess right, right around a quarter of the way through the season. Um, obviously very tough. I said it before, it has the makings of a one and done. Um, I hope for Trevor Lawrence's sake and the rest of these guys, he can escape uh, this, this guy next year and maybe get some actual coaching talent down there in Jacksonville. Um, I don't know how attractive of a job this, this would be, obviously attractive enough to get Urban Meyer out of retirement. Um, anytime you have a young rookie quarterback who you can build around, um, no matter where it is, I feel like, unless it's there in London, I feel like the job's probably, probably attractive, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel bad. This guy has to, has to deal with Urban Meyer um, for, I mean, this entire season, it's not like they're going to be firing him, you know, week eight, you know, week, week 12, week 14, whatever it is. I'm sure he's going to get the year. Um, but yeah, I hope for his sake that they find someone who can put, I mean, they legitimately have like Daryl Bevel and Brian Schottheimer as offensive coordinators who both, I mean, Daryl, uh, Daryl Bevel was the coordinator in, in Seattle who always wanted to run the ball and refused to let Russ cook. And, or I'm sorry, he was with the Lions. Brian Schottenheimer was with, with the Seahawks. And, and it's just two guys who held back Matt Seraph and held back Russell Wilson and are holding back Trevor Lawrence now. So it's, it's a shame to see, and, and you are truly a product of your environment as a rookie, for sure. Um, enough Urban Meyer talk, Aaron. I think we've delayed the inevitable. Let's, uh, let's get to your Philadelphia E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles here. And uh, let's get a breakdown of uh, the Chiefs 42, Eagles 30. Yeah, this is one of those games like, you know, if I had more anger issues, I, I would have broken a lot of things. Uh, it, it was like we had every opportunity in the world on, on offense. Uh, not to say we played bad on offense. I'm not going to sit here and rip Jalen Hurts. I mean, the kid, the, the guy showed up. Um, I'm not going to put it on him. He was 32 of 48 for 387. So, so some pretty big numbers there. Obviously, almost 400 yards passing. Uh, I don't think the Chiefs defense is – obviously up to snuff at least yet um as far as like the rest of the game goes i mean there were i think three three times we got called back on touchdowns for for either holding uh one of the times was illegal uh touching which i thought was absolute horseshit like to say the least uh yeah. i i used a lot more expletives when i was watching it live but uh yeah, it's just one of those things where I, the defense could not stop, like, even the slightest of a nosebleed this week. Uh, the, the interception was uh, kind of from what Patrick Mahomes says, which, I, I mean, I don't see why he would lie. He, he thought it was a free play. Uh, so they threw a flag, like, mid-play. He just chucked the ball up, and, and we, we picked it off. Uh, Eric Wilson, 
the uh so not not a real interception i mean you know, call call it what it is but the guy threw up five tds on us uh it's kind of hard to like you know i'm gonna probably believe what he says like he he absolutely destroyed us in, in every he's 24 or 30 i mean he only threw 278 but they from the get-go they tried to establish the run which they was not even the slightest of an issue for them um uh, Edwards Hilaire had 102 yards. He averaged seven yards per carry. It felt like he averaged 25 yards per carry every time he got the ball. Uh, and then you had Daryl Williams uh, with 10 carries for 42 yards, about, you know, 4.2 yards per carry. Um, I just look at it like when we got that interception, I think that was early in the third quarter. Don't quote me on that one. Um, but it, it's, uh, you know, we didn't, I don't think we made anything of it. Not even a field goal. I think we went on, on fourth down, didn't get it. Uh, once again, the, the penalties are a, a huge issue on this team. They had nine penalties for 49 yards. It, it's just like they have no discipline. Um, Sirianni, uh, Jonathan Gannon, they talk every single week about we need to be more disciplined. Sirianni, I watched his press conference, he even said, like, we're doing everything in our power this week to correct that. Like, And he said if there's any suggestions, like he's open to anything, like we are not trying to be this most penalized team. Uh, in the league a suggestion box for fans uh, um, suggestions I think uh you know probably a name not many people know outside the you know Eagles fan base Derek Barnett like that guy needs to get the hell out of Philly and, and never come back he uh at least once a game he's getting called for like an un unnecessary roughness uh you know whatever it might be it, it's it's always personal fouls and it, it's it's game in and game out year in and year out he commits more penalties than he does make plays on the field. And that's not even an exaggeration. There's times like uh, I listened to Seth Joyner. He played for the Eagles back in the day. There, there's times the guy's running on the field, like they're about to line up and he's running on the field. Like he doesn't know where he's at. Like it's, it's not excusable anymore. Like I used to try and like, he made plays in, in years past this year. I haven't seen him do much of anything. Um, and, and like Fletcher Cox is getting older. Like, there's so many holes in this team, not to be a, a Debbie downer, but I knew this year was going to be rough. Um, we stayed in the game offensively. It was just Jonathan Gannon refuses to make adjustments. He, he thinks like his, his scheme it, it is, I guess the best idea for the team, but if things don't change, like he he's the hot seat for him is already there. I would say um, just on the fact that I, I can, I can, uh, we can get beat and, and that's fine. Like if we get beat and, and we make adjustments and, and they execute better than we do, that's fine. But when you don't make changes, it, it feels like Doug Peterson all over again, we're going to run the same plays over and over and over again and expect a different result. Like that just doesn't, that doesn't work, especially again, yeah. the team against the chiefs. So, um, you know, I'm proud of Jalen hurts. I'm not sure what they're trying to do with miles Sanders other than like, you know, hurt his confidence and, and piss him off other than, they're doing a good job with that, I would say. But once again, he gets seven carries uh, this game uh, for 13 yards. I, they are talking about how he's not hitting the hole like he should. So they gave uh, Kenneth Gainwell a couple a couple runs, uh, three carries for 31 yards. So he'll take that. But it's like, once again, we didn't really – it was talked about all week we're going to try and run the ball. And, and to me, 10 carries the entire game isn't really trying to run the ball. But especially when the Chiefs run it, like, 25 30 times uh with no issue um so i don't know Devonte smith played well uh the tight ends got involved dallas goddard had a good game zach Ertz, but 
there's still uh it seems like week to week it's like if it's not this this issue this issue it's it's another one it's yeah. it's just a it's kind of a mess right now and and really I, I was really really let down by the defense not showing really much of heart and uh not coming up with really any step stops other than that interception it was just it was a shit show on defense <laughs> plain and simple folks there you have it uh <laughs> Okay, so they score 30 points, obviously, let up 42. Um, I know you criticize both Gannon, both Sirianni. Impossible to place the blame entirely on one phase or one unit of the team. Um, but at this stretch of the season and, and taking this game certainly into account, who is more to blame for this? Is it the defense or is it the offense? Like, is it Gannon? Is it Sirianni? Is it just a combination? More, more than that? Or is it, is it one thing over the other? What, what is your biggest pain point with this with this team right now see like coming out of the gate this game we we were up tempo and often i loved how what we did on the first like two drives of the game i had no like i was like wow this team like we looked more ready to play than we looked all last season like really in a long time like under under doug peterson it was like we didn't look prepared you know often it kind of looked like the same thing over and it was like watching a soap opera but so i i can't discredit sirianni for that i think on, on the offensive side of the ball, like he called, uh, I would say like he called a 80%, 80% of what he called was a, was a good game. Uh, once again, though, we get in the red zone. It's like it, your, your brain isn't there. Like it's, it looks, it just looks unorganized. It looks like we're, we're trying to do too much. Like if we capitalize in the red zone, like we might've at least ran this game down to the wire and, and, and this could have been a shootout at the very least. Um, this game in particular though, it, solely rests on Jonathan Gannon. I think like, obviously our personnel is probably one of the worst, if not like top five worst in the NFL. And as far as just players are concerned, but like I said, I mean, even the announcers are, are, are talking about how they're, they're playing, we're playing a zone and we're playing two deep safe safeties. We don't really bring blitz often. Like it, it's just the same, like he's running a scheme against the chiefs that he ran against the Cowboys, which we got torched in. Right. Like it, it's, it's like, the guy from what everybody talks about is a defensive like genius. And he's uh he's kind of like a Kyle Shanahan, but defensively he's creative. Like I don't see any of that so far. Uh, the only game we played well, I would say is uh well, like the, the San Fran game I put on Sirianni, but right. But Gannon showed so, up. So and, you haven't seen a complete, like, it's not like the defense has been playing well and the offense is playing well. It's usually been one or the other. Exactly. And, and, and these last two weeks have been, I mean, obviously the Cowboys game, maybe you throw that away. That was just a, an awful game all the way around. But yeah. this game, it was like, I feel like we, we we very easily could be at least like two and two, if not three and one, if not for stupid decision-making. And, and that that hurts more than anything. Like like I said, I mean, it was exciting to watch the offense play this week. I never felt like we were completely out of it. I It was nerve-wracking because it's, it's Mahomes and like you basically feel like you have to score every every drive to keep keep pace with them. But um defensively it was just like it doesn't even look like the guys play with heart really it, it, it's I don't know it's just it's very defeating so this week um going down to Carolina I I don't know what to expect I don't know if the offense won't be able to move the ball because of Carolina's defense but we can like keep them in check on defense I don't know it's just like you said we, we haven't played a complete game other than the Atlanta game and and it's obviously showing up that Atlanta is just not a very good team um right. but 
it like I'll, I'll go back to that San Fran game that that'll be a, a game that we should have won and, and it it's still like it's one of those things I think about going forward because this, this was a game like if we if we won that San Fran game we'd be two and two right now so it is what it is that you can't play the what ifs but it's just it's kind of mind-blowing right now and, and I'm trying to accept it the best way I can here's what it is folks here's what it is this is the line of the show uh Aaron <laughs> Hanging on by a thread early on in the season. Uh, I hope you guys curb stomp the Panthers. Uh, we, need <laughs> so. a better, we need a better draft pick out of them. Um, yeah, they. I mean, they they lost to the Cowboys as well. Um, the score, I don't think was – I'm talking about the Panthers. I, the score, I don't think, was indicative of the entire game. I think the score was like 36-28. Um, but the Cowboys coasted. So, uh, I mean, they got points put up on them. Um, and I think they're going to be able to move the ball. But it's, I, I think if your defense can – can bend but not break against them, I think you're going to be fine. Um, that's probably like probably two closely evenly matched teams. Hopefully you don't get McCaffrey, um, but hopefully you can also exploit their, their defense through three weeks, played the the Saints, the Jets, and uh, the Texans. Uh, sorry. So uh, obviously three horrible, horrible offenses. Um, so once yeah, Davis Mills throwing <laughs> 17 picks and – like two two completions. Um, so oh, them yes. obviously playing an offense in the Cowboys. I think you probably saw some some course correction there. Hopefully you guys take it to them though. That's we need um, it, man. We need it. We yeah. can't. It's three three in a row now, so we got to right the ship. Exactly. Um, all right, beautiful breakdown, Aaron. Much appreciated. Uh, last couple of segments of the show. Where do we want to go? Do you want to go to additional games here? We want to go baseball. What's uh, what's our move here? Let's uh, let's let's get the Tampa Bay Bucks or Tampa Bay and uh, Pats game out of the way. And then we can get into, I think baseball, I look forward to talking about a little bit more than, than this game, just cause I cannot, you know, it's well-documented how I feel. So. Yeah. Uh, Bucks Patriots Sunday night football in a monsoon as they're calling. I feel like anytime it rains, whether it's like drizzle or like actually pouring down rain, someone calls it a monsoon um, <laughs> Patriots win. Um, Jesus Christmas. Buccaneers <laughs> win 19 to 17. Nick Folk former Jets folk hero, no pun intended, misses a 56-yarder in the rain, doinks it, one doink, not a double doink, to lose 19-17. That was his career-long 56 yards um, in in the bad weather at night when it's windy, when it's raining. Questionable decision, to say the least. Um, Classic case. uh, I mean, everybody, including me, thought that – the, the Bucks were going to stomp the Patriots. Um, the spread was like seven and a half, eight, I think was the highest I saw in, in certain places. Um, so everybody was expecting a blowout, including myself. Um, the Buc- I mean, the Buccaneers, though, were missing their top like four defensive backs. That's why they signed and then started Richard Sherman off the street. Um, I give Mac, Mac Jones some credit, though. Um, I know I've been, been biased a little bit towards Zach Wilson. Um, 31 of 40, 275 yards, I believe. Uh, still in my Charlie checkdown category, I think the stats certainly um, hold up to that, but did play well. I mean, that's obviously a tough defense. Todd Bowles, um, they're missing, obviously, their secondary, missing guys like JPP. Um, but you still have, you know, Vita Vea, who's wrecking some people. Joe Tryon, that rookie who's who plays DN, who's pretty good. Um, I think they were still able to navigate. And then on, on the flip side, Belichick, I think, called a great defensive game. I mean, practicing with Brady for the last 20 20- plus years you're obviously going to know a guy's tendencies somewhat here and there um so yeah I, th- I thought that the offense for the Buccaneers struggled a little bit 
Um, Antonio Brown played well. Missing Gronk, I think, definitely hurts, especially when you get down into the red zone. Um, but I think it was certainly an entertaining game. Um, anytime, you know, games in prime time, you love to see a close game here. But, uh, yeah, a couple Patriots fans that, that I know um, were, were saying it, it it's weird to play against Brady. It's it's tough to play against Brady. And I, you know, was like, yeah, I've been doing that for the past 20 years. So, welcome <laughs> to my life. Um, and both of our teams play the Bucks. Um, this year, so it was encouraging to see a defense somewhat slow them down, but obviously the Bucks come out victorious. Um, it was reported that Bill Belichick spent 25 minutes in the Buccaneers locker room after the game. Quite suspect to me. Um, maybe they were cheating a little bit. Maybe they're talking about how to beat the Jets. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, certainly an entertaining game. Um, I think if you're both a Bucks fan and a Patriots fan, you can definitely take positives out of this. Um, but yeah, I think the weather definitely impacted the game than, you know, more than people originally anticipated it too, but, uh, fascinating matchup nonetheless. Yeah. I, uh, maybe I was in the outlier. I mean, weather, I think played a a big factor into it, but I I just felt like this game was going to be close. I I just, I don't know. I I just thought Belichick wasn't like from a pride standpoint, like there was no way he was going to let the Buccaneers come in and like destroy him. Um, so maybe call that a little crazy thinking, but, um, yeah, I mean, they, they pretty much can, I mean, obviously Brady got the win, you know, got it done, but his stats are, are somewhat pedestrian. I'd say it's 22 of 43 for 270, uh, 269, like Daniel said, excuse me, 269, but not 270 for all the, excuse me. I think I said five, so I was wrong. (laughs) Uh, but no, no touchdowns, no picks. Um, Obviously, he passes Drew Brees for all time, most yards. Uh, so good for him. But um, <laughs> sound, you know, uh, to... sound any more excited there? Good for <laughs> him. Try my best uh, Belichick impressions. Uh, <laughs> barely here, but uh, I love it. Mac Mac Jones did did play you know pretty well. Honestly, I mean he he's if he's going to succeed, he's at the right place to do it. I would say he's under the, some of the best coaching. Um, yeah, I, I somewhat wanted the Patriots to win this game. You know, probably the f- first game I wanted the Patriots to win in my entire life. But, um, yeah, obviously I think if they, they kick that that field goal, uh, you know, Brady's going to get another crack at it. And then, you know, we could have had a, another insane comeback, which I'm glad we didn't see that at least. But, um, yeah, low-scoring game kind of felt like an old-school game. It was just, you know, they ran the ball. Uh, they couldn't – you know, the Patriots couldn't get much going. Uh, as far as just, you know, getting the ball in the end zone. But uh, they hung in there. And and really, if I'm a Patriots fan, I, I wouldn't really ask for much more. Obviously, the, the kicker would have irritated me to no end. But um, that uh, that is what it is. It, it's a 1917 game. And, and you didn't get embarrassed by Brady. So I think that's a, like a blessing in disguise. Yeah, no, I, you don't get you don't get embarrassed. Um, it's encouraging, like I said, for both teams, probably more so the Patriots. If you're the Bucks, you're like, I just want my team to get healthy and we'll kind of move on from there. They escaped a, a primetime game on the road, which are never easy, no matter how good your team is or who your quarterback is or how much experience your team has in general. It's always going to be tough. Um, so for them to squeak out with a win, come back home, it's it's certainly nice and probably weird uh, for Brady to you know be on the opposing side of things, especially at Gillette Stadium. Um but yeah, it was a, a sickening game for me, um, as I hate the Patriots and and I'm a staunch hater of Tom Brady. Um, but I guess it's good for the Jets to be tied record-wise with the Pats. So that's something 
that I can hang my personal hat on. We're, we're tied for second in the AFC East at one and three. Um, so good, 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 uh, good for you, Bills fans. You fucking spoiled assholes, but uh, <laughs> hey. all right. Aaron, baseball. Let's get back to it. Take us into the NL wildcard game. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a, I can't say I'm extremely excited for it for the two teams that are in it, but uh, I'm, I'm excited for, for playoff baseball nonetheless. So you got uh, Adam Wainwright, who seems like he is probably 75 years old, but he is in fact 40. Um, and you have Max Scherzer, who is absolutely a, a stone cold killer um, going at it tonight. Uh St. Louis at LA, I think, um, obviously, looking at the, the matchup here, uh, the Cardinals are absolutely red hot. Um, it's kind of crazy. They, they didn't really play all that great for most of the season. Uh, they turned it on, obviously, in, in September. Uh, since, a little stat, stats here for you. Um, since, since September 1st, I can't even talk today, Adam Wainwright is – 4-0 with a 3-4-4 ERA. Um, he did beat the Dodgers, uh, pitched eight and one-third innings, gave up four, uh, four in runs, four Ks on September 9th. So not, not too long ago he pitched against them. Um, if you're looking at Scherzer, uh, since since September 1st as well, he's 3-0 with a 2.29 ERA. He, he's just absolutely insane. Like he the guy like never seems to struggle. Like he'll, he'll have like one or two bad games. Like he won't have one or two bad years ever. It seems like. Um, so yeah, I, I give the, I give the uh, upper hand to Scherzer. I give the upper hand to the Dodgers lineup, not to say that the, the Cardinals can't stay in it, but I just think obviously the Dodgers are kind of like the new, the new generation Yankees. They're, they're buying everybody. They're spending more money than the Yankees even. So um, you would hope they would, would put, uh, produce some results here in the postseason. I just look at Scherzer to, to have a good night. Uh, I just think he, he's that guy. He's absolutely filthy. So uh, I think the Cardinals obviously put it together at the right time. I just don't know if, if they can do it in L.A. You know, versus that guy. I'm not sure if that's, that's something they can pull off. Yeah, I mean, Adam, Adam Wainwright, we, we were talking before the show, 40 years old. Been in league since 2005. We're old enough to remember the days of him and Chris Carpenter getting season-ending injuries every other year. It seemed like they were never playing. It's almost like modern-day Syndergaard and DeGrom. One of them's hurt at, at any given point. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I I would have lost that bet. I can't – I mean, we're going to be brutally honest on this show. I had no idea he was still in the league. Um, I'm man enough to say that. Uh, but, yeah, I wish him I wish him the best. I know the, the Cardinals had an insane run this year of winning, like, 17 or 18 straight at one point. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're running into a buzzsaw with the Dodgers, probably one of the, the best records ever playing a wildcard game. Um, and, and Max Scherzer, obviously, in there. I, I'd, I'd probably put put my faith in them. But, yeah, I mean, I you know, the Cardinals, obviously, historically a great postseason team where the Dodgers are just so loaded. Um, and Scherzer's a psychopath. So, you know, him in a game, I'm probably going to put my money on. But um, I'm still going to tune in. It's still going to be uh, – certainly exciting and and hopefully maybe a little part of me is is also rooting for for the old guy Wainwright to uh get the job done yeah I I don't really have a dog in this race I I don't I'm not a big fan of either team Uh, I guess I I pull for the the Cardinals just because they um don't have the Dodgers payroll and don't have the upper hand in that capacity but 
Um, I mean, postseason, just looking at Scherzer, he's seven and five with a three, three, eight ERA on this season, like during the regular season, he's 15 and four, the two, four, six, like he, he is just like one tough, tough, uh, mother effort. I'll say that I'll, I'll keep the show PG right here, but, uh, <laughs> Good show. he's, uh, he's, uh, he's 37 as well. So both these guys are, uh, it's insane. Like I, I, as, as impressive it is for like Brady to play at such a high level for Aaron Rodgers to play at such a high level at their age. I, I think these pitchers that are like Scherzer, I know he throws high, high nineties. I, I think Wainwright even does too. Still. I, I think that's absolutely like insane to, to be able to do that at, at such a high level and, and at your age and, and how many miles are on those arms. It, it's, that's just, that's amazing to me. And uh, yeah, it should be, obviously I, I was more excited for last night's game, I would say. Um, but nevertheless, uh, it's playoff baseball and uh, it's winter go home. And, and it's, it's crazy. I think the Dodgers are the wild card team with over a hundred wins. So. hundred wins, which is nasty to say the least. I they got to figure out some of their pitching staff if they ended up making it. Uh, you know, past past this game, I think Kershaw is dealing with an injury. Maybe he's out for the postseason. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to be tuning in to obviously this game, um, the rest of the MLB playoffs. I mean, you you know, Rays, Red Sox. We talked about earlier. We're certainly tuning in for. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for for baseball playoffs. I don't think anything, you know, beats baseball in the fall in October, and obviously the playoffs there. So I'm certainly looking forward to the entertainment factor. Um, hopefully we get some, some good, some better broadcasts out of it. I would say um, oh. to that guy in a rod last night was like watching paint dry. It was just terrible <laughs> at times. Um, I'm an A-Rod fan because he played for the Yankees. It just was tough to listen to. Um, so yeah, maybe Joe Buck, our guy, uh, John Smoltz can do a little bit better. Um, but Aaron, why don't you, uh, why don't you take us home? What, what can the folks look forward to this week out of us? Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll obviously touch on the NFL uh, game, the, the Thursday night game of the week, uh, Rams, Seahawks. Uh, obviously, keep you up to speed with all the MLB playoffs and, and maybe give you some previews for uh, who we think is going to win the series. And, uh, yeah, if any other storylines break, if Urban Meyer's caught out and about again, uh, we'll be the first to let you know. And, uh, you know, we're always trying to stay stay relevant on Twitter. So uh, take a look over there if, if you're interested. Brutally Honest Sports, follow us. Take us home. <laughs>